They're exiting, as I shared in the announcements, that we're going to begin a new sermon series uh, today entitled The Journey. And I want to invite you on a journey that uh, can change your life forever. A journey that not only will change your life if you commit to it, but a journey that can impact and change the lives of many, many people that are around you. And so as, as we begin a new year, uh, these are often great times for us to reevaluate. Now, I won't do this by a show of hands, but uh, usually by this time of January, most people have blown up their New Year's resolutions already. So I won't ask for a show of hands for you to make that confession publicly as we scan the, this, the uh, video equipment around and, and prove that for you. Uh, but the reality is we do these New Year's resolutions almost every year. And um, some of us, like myself, what's, what's the purpose? Because we don't do it anyway. Uh, but it's always good. It's always good to stop and evaluate where we are. If you can't figure out where you are, then how do you know where you need to go? So we're at that point, this as a church, and I'm excited. I'm excited about the future of our church. I'm excited about this last year and a half and what God has done. And, you know, you're, I want you to know your elders and your staff and then the task force, you know, that we've spent hours upon hours upon hours in prayer asking God to reveal the vision that he has for this church. And you guys have unanimously approved the mission and the vision of this church, the, the mission to multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I even want to suggest a modification to that, uh, to add in the phrase, multiply disciples of all nations with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's really our heartbeat. And, and we see that heartbeat show up in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering with how much you guys have a heart for giving to international missions. You know, but the, the vision, now the vision... Uh, it might be a little bit off the rocker in, in your mind to reach and impact 200,000 people with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus by the year 2020. Now, you might think that I was drinking a lot of coffee when we wrote that one. Uh, but, you know, the reality to me, 200,000 people is not many people at all. And you might be thinking, you've been drinking something. Well, here's the reality with technology, the way we have it today, and the ability, if we will become the church and be who God's created us to be, and, and experience this life transformation that takes place in our lives, and then seek to be able to share that with other people, 200,000 people is nothing. I was so encouraged uh, last Sunday night, we had 82 people show up for that testimony training time. That's exciting to me, that people are saying that I want to learn a way to be able to share and expend God's glory to other people by just some creative way to tell them what God has done in my life. It was exciting to see 82 people there. If you weren't able to be there, we recorded it. We'd love for you to see that and to put your own testimony together um, so that when God opens up the opportunity through the normal course of your day or your week, when somebody else's life has fallen apart and it has to do with something that you've been, you can say, you know, I have no idea how you're feeling, but can I tell you about a time when I went through something that was very difficult and what got me through that time? You know, all the times I've done that, I've never had somebody say, you know what, I'd rather not. Most people are looking for some hope to grasp onto, some hope to, to get them through the tragedies that they're going through in their life. But I'll tell you what, when I think about the future of this church, I get excited. Now, I only had one cup of coffee this morning. Um, it was a little bit big cup of coffee, but uh, you're going to see my passion come out again. But when I'll tell you what, when I think about the future of this church, what I think about is not just giving to international missions. I see, I see people going on short-term missions trips numerous times throughout the year. I see people not going just on short-term mission trips, what I would call mid-term mission trips, where it's an extended time, you know, maybe a month or so uh, of going on, on mission. And I even see people calling up out of this church full-time missionaries because of our heartbeat for that. But even more than that, I see God raising up leaders as we multiply disciples 
and, and give them opportunities to grow in their leadership. I see God raising up leaders and pastors out of this congregation for us to go plant other churches in this area and around the state and even worldwide. You know, it's just when you grasp the biblical model that God has given us, we share the gospel, we multiply disciples by giving them uh, training and giving them opportunities to serve, and then God just begins to do something amazing that we can't do on our own, and he transforms lives in ways that, man, when we give our lives to Jesus, he takes away some of the junk of our past, and he gives us opportunity to use that junk to glorify his name and draw other people closer to him. But, you know, when I think about the future of our church, this group that's sitting up right here, you know, my, my vision for yours is the same as Jeshua's is I, I want to see you guys grow so much in your faith that when you go to college, you're being the lights of the world no matter what school God calls you to go to. Our heartbeat for you is that by the time that you graduate, um, you know, and go off to college, that you've gone on one international missions trip. That every one of you goes on an international mission trip before you go off to college. That God continues to do in you guys something that's so special that we even see at the age that you are right now, the future leadership that God is going to use to grow his church. That's our heartbeat for our youth, but our heartbeat is even more so for us as a body of believers to become all that God has created us to be. You know, we are so defeated by the enemy and the mistakes that we make in life and the consequences that, that come from those mistakes that the enemy makes us think that we are nothing. But God has a different plan. God has already created within us the, to be the individuals, and he's already equipped us with the, 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 the talents that we have, the desires that we have of, of our heart that come from the, 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 what he's given us, the spiritual gifts he's given us, to use them to glorify and make his glory known to all the nations. And as we become that, as we become that individually and we become that corporately, there's no telling what God can do. But I think you'd agree with me that in order to become that type of church, that we have to grow spiritually. And so as we begin this series called The Journey, you know, that, hey, our adventure really can begin right now. It, it's a call to commitment. It's really a call to spiritual disciplines, but probably not in the context that you're used to hearing about spiritual disciplines. You know, I, because of my competitive nature, when I first heard about spiritual disciplines, it was just another thing that I needed to do to be spiritual. Um, and so I, I went about it, I think, in the wrong way um, you know, because... It was, it was a must-do list for me. And because of being a doer and my competitive spirit, uh, it became this ritualistic thing uh, because I wasn't looking at it the right way. And so let me propose this thought to you, that we look at spiritual disciplines through the lens of the gospel. We've spent two months looking at the gospel and unpacking the gospel, that we look at prayer through the lens of the gospel, that we look at studying the word of God through the lens of the gospel. And let me just suggest this, that if we do any of these spiritual disciplines outside of the lens of the gospel, that what the tendency is, is to become pharisaical. So let me explain it this way. If we pray outside the lens of the gospel, typically what we do is we ask God to get on our agenda, right? I mean, if, if you just evaluate, if you were in Sunday school this last hour, you evaluate the prayer request and the way the prayer request came across, what are we asking? We're asking God to do what we want him to do, and that's not what prayer is. Prayer is more about us getting on God's agenda and figuring out what he wants to do. So prayer in the context of the gospel, we may still pray for our next-door neighbor's ingrown toenail to be healed. Now, hopefully nobody had that on your prayer list, but I'm not going to check to find out. And I'm not saying that we don't continue to pray for that, but we pray for it in a different context. We pray for that toenail to be healed so that person knows that there's one true God. 
So that person is drawn closer to Christ so that maybe even I have the opportunity after praying that to share the good news of Jesus Christ with that person. You see the difference? But when we just, because somebody's in pain and anguish, we ask God to remove that from them, that may not be the case. Or we study the Word of God. Why do we study the Word of God? Why did you come today to hear the Word of God preached and taught in Sunday school class? If you do that outside of the context of the gospel, may I just suggest that what is produced is more so pharisaical than it is the multiplication of disciples. If all we came for today was knowledge for the sake of knowledge, then sometimes that, oftentimes I think that leads to pharisaical, pharisaical tendencies. Knowledge without application is a dangerous thing. And so as we look at this new sermon series in the context of the gospel, I hope it will enlighten you in ways that is motivational, but help us keep with inside the boundaries of the way God designed things in the first place. I think there's two questions that would be good for us to ask ourselves that are barometers for us to have motivation to join in this journey, but also to, to make sure we're staying in right. And the first is this. If you were to look at yourself personally, how much would you say that you were personally personally radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ this year? If you look back on this last year, how much were you radically transformed by the gospel over the last year? And if you're having a hard time answering that question, maybe you weren't so radically transformed after all. And the second is this, what have you done this year to help somebody else be radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, this is the context of the gospel, that the purpose of reading the word of God is so that we are radically transformed and drawn closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Why? So that we can be sharing the gospel so that others can be radically transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get outside the scope of those things, it's easy to go down paths that we don't want to, go down the paths of Americanized Christianity that, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of because it doesn't work. And so, but in order to get there, we have to become more and more followers of Jesus Christ. We need to grow in our faith. Our faith needs to be enriched. And so I think you would agree with me that that requires some knowledge, so some knowledge that comes from the Word of God. But what you may not know is there's two Greek words that are used for knowledge. One is oida and one is gnosko. Oida is a knowledge that's based upon facts and data and cognitive pieces. So all the men in the room, we get this one. You know, and so ladies, if you haven't figured out yet about your man, uh, we communicate on this level, very factual, it's data. Uh, and so if you say something like you never, we're, we're immediately going to this. But there's a second Greek word for, for knowledge, and it's gnosko. And this refers to an, an internalized knowledge that's gained through experience. And so when Paul is praying for uh, the, these early churches that he was pouring his life into, that they may have knowledge of God, this is the word he was using. It wasn't a factual knowledge. It was an experiential knowledge. And so as we go into our, we, we dig in deeper this morning, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to think about what type of knowledge do I have about God? Is it a factual knowledge that I've been taught because I've been in Sunday school class my whole life or I've come to church most of my life? Is it an intellectual, data-based knowledge about God or have I really experienced God? That's what God desires for us. I've been reading this book um, called Jesus Continued by J.D. Greer, and uh, I'm only in the first chapter, and, and he's 
kind of rocked the boat already in the first chapter. And, and he's talking about this uh, in this first chapter. And he asked this question. He says, are you okay with just a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or do you thrive to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? I think most of us are okay with the relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and even when I ask that question, you're going, well, duh, yeah, I'm okay with Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. Would you rather walk with Jesus or be empowered by the Holy Spirit? When Jesus was spending those last moments with the disciples and he's giving them the great commission, the very first thing he said to them was, wait. The world is waiting for them to tell them about the resurrected Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says is, wait. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until the one I am going to send comes. And they didn't. They prayed and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. They had a factual knowledge of the Holy Spirit because Jesus had told them that he was going to come. He was going to lead them all into all truth. But they did not have an experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit came and the day of Pentecost happened, let me tell you what. They had an experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit that they never, ever wanted to let go of. I think most of us in church have a knowledge of the Holy Spirit that is factual-based, but not a knowledge that comes from experience. J.D. Greer goes on to explain this in this way, that a blind person has a, a factual knowledge of color, right? Other people can describe it to him as best they can. Hey, there's white in here and orange and red and green here in these flowers, and, and they can try to describe it to a blind person. They have factual knowledge of it, but if they were given sight, and they see it for the first time, now they have this experiential knowledge of what color is because they can see it. Or if, if somebody is told about honey never having tasted it, and we try to describe how sweet it is and how awesome, I mean, it's awesome, yet they never taste it. They only have a factual knowledge, but when they put it on their lips and their tongue, now they have an experiential knowledge of honey. And so the same is true. Are you okay with just a relationship with Jesus? Are you okay with just a factual knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Or do you so desire an experiential knowledge? You know, in Baptist circles, we, we shy away from that, don't we? This experience thing. Well, here's the Greek word. It's based upon our experiential knowledge of who Jesus is and who, more importantly, the Holy Spirit is. And so as we go through this series, I want us to really kind of consider and, and think about that. But we're going to go through five things. We're only going to cover two today uh, that I want us in this, this journey that I'm inviting us on, five commitments that I want us to make over the year. And then the first is this. Would you make a commitment to pray with the gospel is in, in mind for this whole year? You know, and, and by that I mean this. Would, if, if we're really keeping the gospel in mind, the Great Commission is to make disciples of what? All nations. And so that means we're making a commitment to pray with the gospel mind, therefore the entire world. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you guys are very familiar with this. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. And then Jesus says, I I'm going to be with you the entire time, all the way into the day I come back. We need to make a commitment to be praying with the gospel in mind, make a commitment to be praying for the nations. But I think we miss this. And if you go to James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, this is more of our concept of, of prayer. And I think we do a pretty good job of this. Verse 13 in chapter 5 says this, If anyone is suffering among you, let him pray. 
If anyone in church is cheerful, let him praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. I think we get this part. And as we, we share a little bit more, what our typical prayers are, are praying for the healing of people. I would say the large majority of prayers in the church are for people's healing. But again, outside the context of the gospel, I think we miss the mark. We're praying to get God on our agenda versus us getting on his agenda. Inside the context of the gospel, we pray differently. I was in a class that was taught by Elmer Towns on prayer. And uh, he posed us a question after lunch one day that I'll pose to you. And so you raise uh, affirmatively with a show of hands. If somebody were to come up to you and ask you to pray for their healing, how many of you would pray for them right there? All right, and, and that's about what we did. Now, I, I see some of you going, that's a trick question. I know Dave well enough now. I'm not raising my hand. And that's actually what I did in the class. Um, but here's what he said. What if, what if the whole reason that they were sick in the first place was God trying to bring them to himself? And then you pray for their healing. See, when we pray outside the context of the gospel, we can be asking God to short-circuit a process that he is doing in somebody's life to bring them closer to him. Now, I'm not saying that all sickness is because of sin or all sickness is because God. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is we need to be praying in the context of the gospel that what is going on in somebody's life, God often uses to bring them to himself. And if we pray, let me just be honest. You Sometimes I pray not so much for that person, but to relieve myself from the discomfort I'm feeling because of what's going on in their life. Does that make sense? Somebody else is going through something that they, they need to, to have healing over, but I'm so uncomfortable with it that I'm going to pray for their healing so that I don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. You know, sometimes that's not biblical because God needs them to be uncomfortable to get them to the point in their life where they need to be where they totally give up and yield to God. So when I'm praying in the context of the gospel, I'm praying that God would do whatever he needs to do in that person's life to bring them to himself. Sometimes that's healing. Sometimes it's not. But I don't want to get in the way of God. But if we would change the way we think, think about the gospel in the context of our prayers, I believe it transforms how we pray, both for people's healing and how we pray for the world. Then when we look at world circumstances and we look at all the stuff that's going on in the world, and let's just talk about terrorism. How do we typically pray? We pray for our military to find them quick. If we pray in the context of the gospel, we pray that the Holy Spirit would find them before our military does. And that we'd have a Paul-like conversion of these terroristic leaders, just like the very first terrorist who was Paul himself. We pray in the context of the gospel. I want to make, ask us to make a commitment to pray in the context of the gospel and then pray for the entire world this year. Now, when you, when, when you hear that, okay, well, how on earth am I supposed to pray for the entire world? Well, let me give you a tool that would be very beneficial for you in the context of praying for the entire world because it's pretty big. There's a website. It's called um, uh, Operation World. 
we're going to try to put this up on the screen for you here in a little bit, that when, when you click on this, there is all sorts of resources. And so um, when you, you see this, and so on the, on the left side, when you scroll down there, there's prayer resources. On there, there's, uh, there's a, you can pray, pray for the world every day. It'll give you different portions of the world. There's a 60-day challenge on there. You can click on that, and it'll, it'll give you uh, different resources. It gives you different countries to pray for, uh, you know, and and, and on there, even when you click on the country, it gives you all these amazing statistics. The amount of people in that country, the amount of lostness in the country, the small percentage of people in that country that know Jesus, and it gives you some things to pray for. There's actually video clips of those countries and what's going on in the countries that can give you a heart for them so that you're praying for them. Now, let me just ask you this. What do you think would happen in our lives if everybody here made a commitment to pray for the world this year? You think we'd have a little bit more of a vision for the lostness of the world? I think so. You think God might touch our lives a little bit to be more involved in some ways? I think so. But even more than that, if we are praying for the gospel to go forth in these portions of the world where there's less than 1% of the people in that country that are believers in Jesus Christ, what's going to happen? Because of the Great Commission, God is telling us to make disciples of all nations. We may not be able to go, but we can certainly pray for people to go. We can pray for those who are already there that God would give them favor and that they would have opportunities to share what God has done in their lives in ways that transforms other people's lives. And so I'm inviting us to go on this journey to make a commitment to be praying in the context of the gospel and everything we do. And part of that is to be in prayer for the world. But the second thing I want us to do, and, and we're running out of time quick and I apologize, is to make a commitment to read through the Bible. Read through the whole thing. Now let me just say this. I don't like the reading through the Bible in the year plans. You know why? Because I've only met a handful of people that have ever succeeded in doing so. And that usually heaps guilt upon us when you get far behind like I tend to do, and then you just finally throw in the towel, and then you feel bad that you didn't do it. Um, you know, I'm a terrible reader. Uh, my reading comprehension is even worse, uh, and so these Bible reading plans have never worked for me. Um, so here's what I'm a proponent of. Let me tell you the secrets of, and I have read through the Bible numerous times, but let me tell you how. I did it because I had to for a class, right? And I had to do it in a short block of time, a very short block, a week. Now, I'm a slow reader, right? There is something powerful about reading the God's Word from cover to cover as fast as you possibly can because what happens when you read it through like that is these themes start jumping out of God's Word that are the same from the beginning to the end. From Genesis to Revelations, you see this redemptive theme that God had already preordained. The, God's love shows up in such amazing ways, His pursuit of us as people, the way He goes about it, His mercy, His grace, His justice, His wrath, it all shows up as we we read through this that when you read it chapter by chapter verse by verse you just don't see and so being able to read it through and so my challenge is that you read through the word of God in in three months or less now obviously you're not going to be studying it as you're, you're just kind of flying through and reading through it you know so that you can see these themes pop off the page so that now when you go through and study later on you got these themes in the back of your mind that go oh yeah and now you dig in a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper you know, but sometimes we fail in our reading of God's Word because we don't really understand the importance. Psalm 119.11 says, If I have stored up your Word in my heart, and I will store up your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I don't know about you, 
I know I got a sin problem. Right? And here's what God's word says that if you store up his word in your heart, it's going to help you not sin. Well, let me just make another confession. I'm a terrible memorizer. I, I struggle memorizing. And the moment that I stop reviewing things is the moment I lose it. You know, I've hit my head numerous times, and I hit my head again Monday in a way that probably knocked some sense out of me too and forgot some more things. But the reality is that we have to read God's Word because it's powerful. We need to memorize God's Word to set ourselves up so that we can have success and not sinning because guess what? The Holy Spirit uses God's Word to lead us into all truth. The less of God's Word that you've read and less of God's Word that you memorize is the less that the Holy Spirit has to work with. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that all Scripture, all of it is breathed by God. It's from God. And it's profitable for all sorts of things. It's prof profitable to teach us about God. It's profitable for repute, reproof, for correction, for training up in, us up in righteousness so that we as men and women of God may be so thoroughly equipped that we can participate in every good work that he's already prepared in advance for us to do. We need to understand that God's word is so important. Matter of fact, if there was only one thing that I could get somebody to do, it wouldn't be to listen to me on Sunday. It'd be to read God's word. This is the word of God Almighty. It is powerful and it can do its own work. Let's read it. And so if we want to go on this journey this year, this journey of transformation, it's a radical journey. It's a journey that requires commitment. We need to be praying in the context of the gospel. We need to be studying God's word in the context of the gospel, not so that we get bigger heads and we can say, hey, I know this and that. One of my pet peeves about seminary is this. Everybody wants to go around telling you how much they know. Who cares? How much does it transform your life in such a way that it's now transforming somebody else's life. That's knowledge in the context of the gospel. And so I want to invite you on this journey. Maybe you struggle reading the word of God. Let me give you another resource that you can tap into. It's called YouVersion. Here's the website at the bottom. This is their homepage. On this, there are all sorts of reading plans. If you want to day-by-day -day reading plan. They got all kinds of them on here. There's all types of Bible versions on here. But here's the, here's the kicker. You push a button, they read it for you. I kid you not. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on your computer. You can put it on your, your uh, iPod or, or whatever you want. Uh, and you're going down the road, and you can push a button, and it'll read Scripture for you. In fact, when this ministry first got started uh, at the previous church I was at, we got the MP3 files uh, that we, we purchased and gave everybody in the church so that they could put the DVD in their, in their audio player and going down the road and the Word of God's being read to you. Now, if you're like me and you're a terrible reader in the first place and your comprehension rate is terrible and you got dyslexia and you get easily distracted, hey, this is for you. But here's what happened for me. I remember I'm, going, I'm driving to, to Lynchburg, going to class, and I had this popped in and I'm listening to it. And it was amazing. I'm going... I never heard that before. I literally pulled the car over, got my Bible out, and I'm like, that can't be right. And I read it, and there it is, right in the Word of God. Maybe that's because of my dyslexia. I got so easy distracted that I never read it before. But it's awesome that it's so easy for us today. 
And so there's all sorts of resources there for you. It's a free app. You can download it on your phone. There's all sorts of versions. I use the English Standard Version to preach from. That's one of the audible ones that you can just listen to. The Word of God is powerful. And if we'll make a commitment to get into it every single day, God will reveal things to you that will blow your socks off. Stuff that you're struggling with in life, you're listening to it, man, it's going to jump off the page. And you might have to have a pull over the side of the road moment. I encourage you to do that rather than open it up as you're driving down the road. Seriously, officer, I was reading my Bible. <laughs> I'd like to see his face. But if we'll make this commitment to daily pray in the context of the gospel and to daily read the word of God in the context of the gospel, something will take place in our lives individually and then therefore corporately as a church that will be magnificent. It will transform us in ways that will transform everybody else around us and it will be an exciting ride. So as we come to this time of invitation, I just wanted to ask you to consider, if we go back to those two questions, how much has the gospel transformed my life in this last year? And how much have I, because of that transformation, been able to be a part of somebody else's life being transformed? I don't know about you, but I don't like the answer that comes to my mind because I want more. I don't want to just be satisfied with a relationship with Jesus. I want to have the same passion for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that those early Christians had because we've experienced it. So as we come to this time of invitation, if you have something that you want to share uh, that God has laid upon your heart, I know I had a chance to talk with some of you this week and some of the things that God has done in your life that you've even done this last week, uh, you know, to steer your family back into where you need to be, come and share that with the body of Christ. Because here's where I think church gets exciting. When we start sharing what God is doing in our lives to spur one another on to good deeds. But will you pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you love us in in such a way that you wanted to reveal yourself to us in, in incredible ways. God, even though we know about you because of creation, God, that you decided to reveal yourself to us in a special way by writing the Bible. And Lord, even the way you did that amazes me. But God, I pray that as we begin this incredible journey, this journey of commitment, Lord, and, and we do our part, Lord, that you would bless us. That you would bless our prayers as we pray in the context of the gospel. That you would bless our studying and reading of the word in the context of the gospel. God, so that we can continue to make your glory known among the nations. And God, as we do so, that you would continue the process of transforming our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.